want to welcome you today. Today we're excited that we're going to begin a brand new series together this morning entitled Only Believe. And we're going to talk about how do we embrace faith in a world of fear, right? How do we embrace faith in a world of fear? Because uh, if you haven't noticed lately, there is really, there is a spirit of fear and anxiety uh, that tends to creep into people's lives, and literally even across nations. And you look across America, and you see that there's an anxious spirit, and all the things that are not only happening in people's lives personally, but things that are happening in our nation, things that are happening around the world, uh, all of a sudden have a way of shifting people into a place of fear and insecurity and worry and anxiety. So how do we embrace faith uh, in a world of fear. And we're going to talk about that over the next few weeks and how we can really step into what God has purpose for our lives. So we're going to look together in the Gospel of Mark chapter 5. And in Mark chapter 5, we're going to kind of read the accumulation of two stories. We're going to read uh, about a gentleman by the name of Jairus. He was a ruler in the synagogue. And then we're going to read about a lady who was unnamed in Scripture. She was called the woman with the issue of blood. And in this story, uh, we're going to come in at verse 25. And Jairus has already come to Jesus, and his daughter is at home sick. And uh, he comes to Jesus, and he asks Jesus to come to his house. And here's the good news. Jesus said, okay, I'll come to your house. How many glad Jesus might house calls. Amen. And so Jesus said, I'm going to come to your house. And so on the journey to Jairus' house, uh, they encounter this woman with the issue of blood. And we're going to jump in right here at verse 25. And it says, now a certain woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians, she had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. And immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, who is Jairus, and said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid, only believe. Do not be afraid, only believe. And so I want to talk today and over the next few weeks about really how do we embrace that reality? How do we come out of a place of being afraid to a place where we only believe, right? If we can just only believe, we can really see some astounding things begin to happen in our lives. I want you to look at the first point on your outline. I want you to see this. Just a very simple declaration, just a very simple statement, but you need to settle this in your heart, that what you believe, what we believe, really does determine what we receive. What we believe determines what we receive, and faith and fear are both forms of belief. 
What we believe determines what we receive, right? Over and over in Scripture, you see Jesus make this little repetitive phrase. He says, according to your faith, and be it unto you according to your faith. And as you believed, it shall be unto you. And so Jesus consistently taught us that it is our faith that initiates and enables us to receive from God the thing that God wants to accomplish, fulfill, and perfect in our lives. And so what we believe really does determine what we receive in life. But what we don't always recognize is that faith and fear are both belief systems. Right? If I'm in faith, I'm believing God, I'm believing for the good things that God has promised me, and if I'm in fear, unfortunately, I'm also believing. Right? I'm believing the report of the enemy. I'm believing that nothing good's ever going to happen to me. I'm believing that no matter how hard I try, nothing ever works out. I'm believing that this is going to be the end and there's never going to be a better tomorrow and, and life's never going to change, right? And we see people all the time. They're in a place of faith, but really they're not in faith. They're in fear. They are believing something, and unfortunately they are believing the report of the enemy. And so if what we believe really does determine what we receive, then we've got to make sure that we're not living in fear, but we're actually living in faith. And let me just give you one of the easiest distinguishing marks to know whether you're living in faith or whether you're living in fear. If you're living in faith, you are anticipating tomorrow. If you're living in faith, you're anticipating tomorrow. Why are you anticipating tomorrow? Because you're expecting God to do something good in your life. If you're living in faith, you are anticipating tomorrow. If you're living in fear, you are dreading tomorrow. And if you listen to people talk, man, I just dread going to work tomorrow. Man, I dread having to sit down and, and pay the bills this week. I dread going to the doctor. I have no clue what they're going to say. I just dread. I dread this. I dread dealing with that person. I dread going home to my family. I dread dealing with my problem children. I, I, did, I dread dealing with, with all these difficulties at work and in my family. And I just dread my life. I wish the weekend hurry up and get here. I wish Monday'd hurry up and get here. I wish Tuesday'd hurry up and get here. I wish Wednesday'd hurry up and get here. I wish next week hurry up. I wish summer vacation would hurry up and get here. Right? We just, we're just dreading life. And why do we dread life? Because we are in a place of fear. Right? If you're in a place of faith, you are anticipating tomorrow. That's really a very simple definition. If I'm in faith, I anticipate tomorrow. If I'm in fear, I dread tomorrow. I dread my work. I dread my job. I dread the people that I've got to encounter. But if I'm in faith, I'm actually expecting God to do something good. I'm expecting God to work all things together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. I'm expecting God to show himself strong on my behalf. Why? Because he's a good father and it is his good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And he withholds no good thing from those who love him. Amen. And when you're in faith, you are anticipating your tomorrow. And so I just want to ask you right now, just do a little gut check. Right? Just do a little gut check. Are you dreading or are you anticipating? Because everything that you dread, you're in a place of fear. And everything that you anticipate, you're in a place of faith. Because it's possible to anticipate enjoying time with my family and dread going to work. I can be in a place of faith in one arena of my life and be in a place of fear in another arena of my life. So just do a gut check, right? Just begin to evaluate your heart. What are you dreading? What are you anticipating? Because those are indicators of whether you're in faith or whether you're in fear. And what we believe, here's the revelation, right? Here's kind of the sounding alarm. 
what we believe we actually receive. And we know that's true because we have this little statement we say all the time. See, I told you it was going to happen. I told you so. Didn't I tell you that was going to Didn't I tell you nothing good ever happens to me? Didn't I tell you no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to get out of debt? Didn't, didn't I tell you me and, my, me and my wife, we just can't seem to get along. We can't even get on the same page. Didn't I tell you my kids, they're just constantly trouble. They're just always stirring stuff up. Didn't, didn't I tell you, man, on my job, there's never peace and there's never joy. The reality is, is what we believe we actually receive. And faith and fear are both forms of belief. They are both belief systems. You're either believing God or you're believing the enemy. Let's look at that next statement, and that's exactly what it says. When we believe what God says, right? When we believe what God says, we are in faith. But when we believe what the enemy says, we are in fear. And the report you believe determines the results that you receive. The Bible says of the woman with the issue of blood that, that she had been battling this disease for 12 years. She had went to all the doctors, and they couldn't help her. She had spent all of her living, so she was broke. I mean, she was literally broke, busted, and disgusted, right? She was at the end of her rope. Everything that could have gone wrong was wrong. She had an incurable disease. She was struggling and, and, and battling every single day of her life. She had spent everything that she had. She had tried every natural remedy there was, and nothing happened. But then the Bible says something. The Bible says, and then she heard about Jesus. And then she heard about Jesus. And all of a sudden, she grabbed hold of God's report. She heard about this man that heals the sick and raises the dead. She heard about this man that's able to turn water into wine, that's able to multiply the fish and the loaves. She heard about this guy that walks on water and speaks, and the winds and the waves obey him. And all of a sudden, she decided to believe the report of the Lord. What did God say? Who was Jesus? And all of a sudden, she wrapped her faith around the reality that Jesus Christ is a healer, a deliverer, a redeemer, a rescuer, a good God, a holy God, a righteous God that loves and cares about his people. And all of a sudden, because of that, something was initiated in her heart called a spirit of faith. And the Bible says, and she said to herself, I'm just going to tell you, you need to start talking to yourself in a good way. See, most of us have a lot of negative self-talk, right? We tell ourselves what we can't do. We need to start telling ourselves what God says we can do. Who is He? And who is He in you? And what has He called you to do? I am more than a conqueror because He loves me. Amen? And she, she said to herself, she said, if I can only touch the hem of His garment, I can be healed. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, I can be healed. And the Bible says she pressed through the crowd and she touched the hem of his garment. And I love this story. I love this miracle in the, in, the, in the story of Jesus because the Bible says that when she touched him, that power went out of Jesus' body and healed her. And immediately the Bible says she knew she was healed. And then Jesus stops and he says, who touched me? And the disciples say, Jesus, what do you mean who touched you? Everybody's touching you. Everybody's touching you. See, what I love about, what I love about this, this miracle and this story and this healing is, is that she actually got healed without Jesus' permission. Right? Jesus didn't consciously think, I want to heal this woman. Jesus, in the natural, was kind of oblivious to this woman until something happened, until her faith accessed his power. 
And when her faith accessed his power, all of a sudden virtue went out of his body, and Jesus is walking along, and he stops dead in his tracks, and he says, hey, somebody touched me. Disciple says, everybody's touching you. Jesus said, oh no, somebody touched me. Faith grabbed hold of the power of God. And I want you to understand today that when you believe the report of the Lord, the report you believe is the result you receive. She received healing. And Jesus went on to say and said, daughter, thy faith has made you whole. Thy faith has made you old. Now, let, let me give you another statement, because here's an important thing. The Holy Spirit really drove this in my heart. Let's talk about facts for a minute. Facts are not faith or fear. They are neutral. Now, why do I say that? Because a lot of people are afraid of the facts. I'm just going to tell you, you don't know how to fight till you get to facts. When you know what you're fighting, one of the number one rules of war is know your enemy. What am I fighting against? I need the facts, right? And nothing about the facts. Now, I'm not saying we need to be bombarded with negative things. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when many, many times we become fearful of the facts. Well, I don't want to go to the doctor because I'm afraid what I'm going to find out. Well, I want to go to the doctor so now I know what I'm fighting. I want to know what I'm warring against. Well, I'm not even, I don't even want to look at my finances because I don't know. I'm just going to believe God they're all going to work out. Yeah. I mean, people do that. Well, I'm, not, I'm, just going, I'm just going to trust the Lord. You don't know what you're believing for because you're ignorant of the facts. You're ignorant of what's going on in your life. You're ignorant of the battle that you're in. You're ignorant of the enemy that's coming against you. You're ignorant of those things. Facts are not faith. And they're not fear, they're neutral. Right? Facts either initiate faith or they initiate fear based on what you believe about God. Think about it. This woman knew the facts. Right? She knew the facts. She knew she had an incurable disease. She knew there was no medical doctor that could cure her. She knew that she had done everything physically that she could do in order to be healed, and she knew it was not enough. But when she heard about Jesus, all those facts, you know what they did? They initiated a spirit of faith in her that drove her to her knees, that drove her to the feet of Jesus, that drove her to the hem of his garment, that she began to reach out to him. Think about Jairus. The Bible says, just as soon as Jesus is speaking to this woman, he says, according to your faith, you've been healed. All of a sudden, somebody comes from his house and says, don't bother the teacher anymore, your daughter's dead. Now, what's interesting is Jesus did not rebuke the messenger. He didn't say, don't say that, she's not dead. He said, don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe. If we're not careful, sometimes as Christians, we want to just stick our head in the sand. Right? We have that ostrich mentality. Well, if I just act like it's not there, then it won't be there. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says God calls those things that are not as though they were. He doesn't call those things that are as though they're not. He calls those things that are not as though they were. So if I'm not healed, God says I am healed. If I'm not blessed, God says I am blessed. 
And so the reality is this, the, 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 Jesus didn't rebuke the messengers to say, that's not true, don't be telling him that. Jesus spoke to Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. He said, don't be afraid. Don't let the facts initiate fear. Let the facts initiate faith. Let the reality, because how many of you know his daughter was dead? That's what makes the story even greater. Right? Jesus didn't just heal his daughter. Jesus raises his daughter from the dead. She was dead. And it wasn't the fact that bothered Jesus. It was the fear that was going to try to grip his heart because of what he had heard. See, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Fear also comes by hearing. But this is what the Holy Spirit said to me this morning. He said, Keith, it's not the information, it's the information after the information that gets you. The information is good. Now, it may not be a good report, but at least you get the right information. We need the right information. And when we get the right information, we know what we're fighting. It's the information after the information that determines whether we're in faith or fear. Because immediately when you get a report, whether it's a good report or whether it's a bad report, there's two voices in your head. There's the voice of God and the voice of the enemy. And the doctor says, you've been diagnosed with cancer. And God says, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. Now, is the doctor bad for telling you that? No, we got some great doctors in our church. I'm very thankful for them. Are they doing a bad thing by diagnosing sickness? Absolutely not. They're doing a good thing. Why? Because people are getting healed and delivered every single day through the hands of physicians. People that don't have faith are being healed. People that don't believe in God are being healed. So are they doing an injustice by diagnosing the problem? No, they're doing a great justice by diagnosing the problem. What we have to do, the problem is not the fact. The problem is the information after the information. It's the voice that you choose to listen to. Because when the doctor says, I'm sorry to tell you, you've been diagnosed with cancer, God says, I'm the Lord thy God that healeth thee, and the devil says, you're going to die and never going to make it. And then you got to decide, who, what voice am I going to believe? Whose report am I going to believe? And here's the kicker, guys. The reports you believe will be based upon your revelation of God. Let me give you a great scripture. 1 John chapter 5. The Bible says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Now look at the next verse. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. But it's not our faith in ourselves. And it's not our faith in the doctors. And it's not our faith in the circumstances. It is our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? It is your faith in God that determines whether the facts produce faith or fear. It is your faith in God. It is what you believe about him. The apostle Paul said this. He said, I know in whom I have believed. I know in whom I have believed. And I've seen people, and you have to think about how many people have you seen get a negative report and all of a sudden it drove them to a place of faith. And they started praying and they started believing and they started confessing the word of God. And we've seen many of those people healed, right? And then how many people have we seen that got a negative report? And all of a sudden, they, they, they started planning their own funeral. Well, I'm never going to make it. 
the doctor says, the economist says, the government says. Think about where we put our faith. Think about all these, well, they said, and they said, and they said, hey, what does God say? What does God say about your circumstance? What does God say about your situation? But it's our faith in Him. Who is he who overcomes the world? He who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you believe that he is who he says he is? Now, here's a great little thought. Not only do we believe that he is who he says he is, but do we believe, this is a great thought, I want you to hear this, that he's actually already done everything he needs to do for you to get everything that God has planned for your life. Do you believe he's already done it all? Because think about it for just a minute. Think about it for just a second. When you got saved, what did God have to do for you to get saved, right? When you prayed that sinner's prayer and you asked Jesus to forgive you of your sin, come into your heart, be your Lord and Savior, what did God have to do to save you? Nothing. He'd already done it all. Right? When you prayed that sinner's prayer, Jesus did not have to get up from the right hand of God the Father and say, well, i got to go down here and save somebody. Somebody's crying out. No, he had already done it, right? Everything that needed to be done, your salvation had already been paid for. All you had to do was by faith receive what God had already been made available to you through the finished work of his son Jesus. Right? God didn't have to do anything. All you had to do was believe in what God had already done. Now let's roll that over, right? God didn't have to do anything for you to be saved. He'd already done it all. Jesus had already paid the price. How many know when Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished, he actually meant it is finished. And the Bible says he is seated at the right hand of God the Father where he forever lives to intercede for me and you. The finished work of Christ was accomplished. And I heard Andrew Wobick make this statement this week. I was listening to him, and he made this real powerful statement. It was really simple, but he said this. He said, faith doesn't move God. Faith moves us. Because God's already moved. Right? God's already moved. God's already done everything that he needs to do for you to be saved. Every person on the planet, if everybody all at one time cried out to Jesus, atheist, agnostic, Muslim, Buddhist, Hindu, if they all cried out to God in one moment to be saved, guess what God would do? He'd save them and he wouldn't have to do anything. Because it's already been done. But by faith, they would access, they would receive what has already been paid for and made available to them. God doesn't have to move. He's already moved. Faith moves us. It moves us to a place of prayer. It moves us to a place of intercession. It moves us to a place of obedience, right? And obedience precedes what? Blessing. Faith moves you to obedience. Faith moves you to prayer. Faith moves you to the Word. Faith moves you to do the things God has called you to do. Why? Because when you're in faith, faith moves us. It doesn't move God. God's already moved. So if God didn't have to do anything for you to get saved, what does God have to do for you to get healed? What does God have to do for you to be delivered? What does God have to do for you to be blessed, for you to prosper, for you to have success? What does God have to do for your family to be put back together? What does God have to do for your mind to be restored? What does God have to do for your family to be saved? Nothing. He's already done it. He's already done it. Faith doesn't move God. Faith moves us to a place of obedience where we, by faith, get in agreement with God. we got to just begin to get in agreement with God. We've got to believe the report of the Lord because the report of the Lord produces the fruit of God in our lives. Now, let's just, let's just be real real for a second because I think church is a good place to be real. Amen. We've all seen people that believe God 
and they died in faith. Or they believed God and they didn't get their miracle. Or they believed God and they didn't get their breakthrough. So what do you do with that? I'm just going to share with you something the Lord shared with me a long time ago, and I've held on to it. He said, Keith, he said, it's better to die in faith than it is to live in fear. It's better to die in faith than to live in fear. Right? I'm going to die believing God. Whether I'm believing God for my healing, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to die believing God for something because I'm believing God for the nations. Right? I'm believing God for North Alabama's greatest church. I'm believing that we're going to shake the nations. I'm believing we're a hub of revival. I believe that there are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that are going to come to know Jesus Christ as a result of a little church in Arab, Alabama called Liberty Church. I'm believing God for that. And I'm going to die in faith. I'm just telling you. I'm going to die believing God because it's better to die in faith than it is to live in fear. Now think about this for a minute. Let's just talk. Is that all right? Elisha, I love the story of Elisha. Elijah and then Elisha, right? Elisha had a double portion of Elijah's spirit, right? Elijah performed seven miracles. Elisha performed 14 miracles. Sounds like he got what he asked God for, didn't he? Man, I bet after that 14th miracle, I wish he'd have asked for a triple portion. <laughs> we believe what we receive, right? We receive what we believe. So Elisha, right, Elisha performed 14 miracles, raised the dead, parted the Jordan River. I mean, astounding miracles. And the Bible says, if you go home and read your Bible, the Bible says Elisha died of sickness. Elisha died of sickness. And then this man named Elisha who performed 14 miracles died of sickness. And then the Bible says they buried him. And one day there were raiders, there were people coming through, and the raiders were coming from another, uh, another uh, army were going to oppress them. And they had a dead man. And they didn't have time to bury him. So they just threw him in Elisha's tomb and threw him on top of Elisha's dead bones. It says bones. That means he had been there a long time. He had decayed. Right? When they threw the dead man on top of the dead man's bones, there was such an anointing in the dead man's bones that the dead man raised to life. So you know what that tells me? It tells me Elisha died in faith. And he died in power. There was such an anointing on him that even after he was dead, his dead body was raising dead people to life. Well, then why did Elisha die? Because it's appointed unto man to die. Everybody has to die because of now the curse of sin. But Jesus abolished death so that one day we can spend forever and ever in heaven, right? When a Christian dies, we don't die. We just change locations. Amen? So the reality is, is we would rather die in faith than live in fear. Why? Because the moment you begin to live in fear, you live in torment. The Bible says where there is fear, there is torment. And how many people do we know are tormented? They're tormented in their minds. They are dreading their tomorrow. They are dreading their future. They're dreading their jobs. They're dreading their families. They're dreading all these things that are in their lives. Why? Because they have, they have embraced a spirit of fear instead of believing the report of the Lord and allowing God to, still, to fill their heart with faith. Again, facts are not the problem. It is what we believe about God that's the problem. It's what we believe about God. Many of you know Miss Anita's standing back there at the back. Wave at everybody, Miss Anita. She is so, look, did you see that big wave? 
Miss Anita, Brother Jim uh, is one of our elders here in the church, and Miss Anita is our secretary and just a great woman of God. And 18 years ago, 18 years ago, she was diagnosed with sarcoidosis, an incurable lung disease. And when she got that, di that diagnosis, which was the facts, right, because her and Jim had a belief in God that says God is a healer and God is a redeemer and God is a rescuer and God is bigger than any problem or any situation that could come my way. You know what it did? The facts initiated faith. And it drove them to the Word of God, and it drove them to prayer, and it drove them to intimacy with God. And they just pressed into Jesus, and they just pressed into Jesus, and they just pressed into Jesus. They began to declare the Word and declare the Word and pray it and believe God. And four years ago, is that right, Miss Anita, you got your claim? Four years ago, right, when they gave her that diagnosis, it's incurable, you're going to die, this is a fatal disease that's going to run through your body, and you will not live, is what they told her. That was 18 years ago. Four years ago, the doctor released her and said, just come in and do a yearly checkup because we can't explain what God's done in your life. Why? Because what you believe about God determines whether the facts initiate faith or initiate fear. It is your revelation of who He is that determines whether you press into Him or whether you pull away because of fear. And we've seen people do both things, right? We've seen people press in and we've seen people pull away. I want to encourage you. Let's look at this last statement. So how do we embrace faith in a world of fear? How do we embrace faith in a world of fear? We embrace Jesus. We embrace Jesus. It is our belief in Him that initiates faith over fear. I want you to see this scripture, Romans chapter 4. The Bible says, speaking of Abraham, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. He kept hoping. Look what it says, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. And Abraham, look at verse 19, Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. I want, you to, I want you to think about this scripture. The Bible says that he did not waver in his faith. And as a matter of fact, he grew in his faith. Why? Because he realized, look what it says, he realized the facts. Here's the facts. Abraham's about 100 years old. Sarah's in her 80s. Right? She couldn't get pregnant when she was 20. She couldn't get pregnant when she was 30. She couldn't get pregnant when she was 40. She couldn't get pregnant when she was 50. So surely she's going to get pregnant when she's 80. Right? And I'm 100 years old, and I've yet to have that son that I believe in God for. But look what the Scripture says. When there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. He kept hoping. He kept believing. How do I embrace faith in a world of fear? I've got to embrace Jesus. You've got to draw near to God. You've got to draw near to God. Why? Because it is your faith in who He is. It is your revelation of who God is that determines whether you initiate faith or whether you initiate fear when you're confronted with the facts that come against you. Look at verse 20. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger and in this he brought glory to God. Let me tell you one of the greatest enemies of your faith. The greatest enemy of your faith is time. Time. 
right? Because we're an instant gratification society. And we want to pray today and receive today. <laughs> but years went by. God spoke a word. And a year turned into two years, turned into three years, turned into four years, turned into five years. I believe about 15 years. Is that right, Force? 15 years from the promise to the fulfillment of the promise. 15 years later, Abraham got his promise. But yet the Bible says he did not waver, but he actually grew stronger in his faith. See, time is the enemy of our faith. And we've got to settle in our hearts. Listen to this, guys. We've got to settle in our hearts that we are not going to measure God's ability by our time. We can't measure God's ability by our time frame. We've got to be convinced. Look what this next verse says, verse 20. Excuse me, verse 21. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. He was fully convinced that God is able. He wasn't convinced that he was able. He wasn't convinced that Sarah was able. He was convinced that God was able. See, here's the challenge many times is that we... Uh, we put faith in our faith. You ever said something like this? Well, if I just had more faith, or if I just would have had enough faith, this would have happened. And if I would have just had enough faith, this would have happened. When you make that statement, you know what you just said? I've got faith in my faith, not faith in my God. Jesus said all you need is a mustard seed of faith. You ever seen a mustard seed? I wouldn't show it to you, but you couldn't see it. It's so small. Right, just a little bitty mustard seed. Jesus said, you don't need more faith. You just need to exercise the faith you got. You just need to make sure your faith is not in your faith, but your faith is in your God. He was fully convinced that God was able. Not that he was able. Not that Sarah was able. Not that the doctors were able. Not that financially he was able. Not that the government was able. Not that the economy was able. Not that anybody else was able. He was fully convinced that God was able to do everything that he had promised. And because of that, when time came and time went and time came and time went and time came and time went, he grew stronger in his faith. He grew stronger in his faith, not weaker in his faith. He grew stronger in his faith. Why? Because his faith was in God. His faith wasn't in his faith. His faith wasn't in the physicians. His faith wasn't in his own body. See, we put faith in ourselves and, you know, there's, you know, we got this whole believe in yourself mentality in our world. You know, everybody wants you to believe in yourself. And there's an element of truth in that. But you need to believe that you are who God says you are. Right? Belief in you ain't real good. And belief in me is not worth nothing. I don't get up here and believe I can preach. I get up here and believe God can preach through me. Because I can't preach, right? I remember me. I remember when I was 18 years old and I was in high school and I'd take a zero on a test because I didn't want to get up and give a speech in front of 12 people that I knew my whole life. I remember when I told God, God, I'll go to Africa and be a missionary and go hut to hut and tell people one to one about Jesus, but please don't make me stand up in front of a crowd. And what does God want me to do? Stand up in front of a crowd. So I don't believe in me. I believe in Him. I believe in him. I believe he's able to do what he promised. I believe he's able to work through me. I believe he's able to work through you. I believe he's able to accomplish his will, his purpose, his plan, because he is God. Right? 
And He's good, and He loves us, and He cares about us, and He desires His best to be accomplished in our lives. And when we don't see what we're believing for happening in the time we're believing it to happen, we got to know that God has something better in store. I mean, think about it. Think about it in the natural for just a second. There are people, you have, you have friends, you have family members, there are people in your life that if they tell you something, you can bank on it. Right? They say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. You don't even think about it anymore. You just know it is settled and it is done. Right? So-and-so said they're going to do it, and they're going to do it. I don't even have to think about it. I don't even worry about it. If we can have that kind of confidence in man, why can't we have that kind of confidence in God? If there are people in your life that you can trust with your life and know that when they give you their word, they're going to do what they said they would do come hell or high water, how much more should we not have confidence in God to know that a God who never lies, a God who can't lie, a God who is just and righteous and true and pure and holy and caring and compassionate, that he is going to do what he said he would do because he said he would do it. No other reason. God's going to do what he said he would do because he said he would do it. He said he would save, he said he would heal, he said he would deliver, he said he would redeem, he said he would rescue, he said he would break the chains of oppression, he would loose the bonds that hold us down. He said he would do it, and guess what? God will do what he said we will do if we will only believe. Because we don't have to move God. We got to let faith move us to a place of obedience. I'm going to close with this little story. How many of y'all, I love, I love the story, uh, the, book, the book of Daniel, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't you love that story? I mean, this is what an awesome story, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were confronted with the facts. Here's the fact. If you, bow, if you don't bow down and worship this golden image, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace. That's the facts. What do those facts do? Those facts, because of a faith in God, because they believed that their God was big and holy and mighty and righteous and just, they stood before the king, and you know what they said? They said, O king, they said, our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, we will not bow. We will not bow. And 2,000 years later, we're talking about three guys we should probably never be able to say their names, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We're talking about three guys 2,000 years later. Why? Because they had confidence in God. They, all they had was only belief. What are you going to do, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Well, I guess we're just going to only believe. We're going to believe God. And we're going to believe God to the point we're going to be obedient to what God has called us to do. And we're going to refuse to bend. And we're going to refuse to bow. And we're going to refuse to worship any other God because we believe God. And he said he is the Lord our God. And he only should we worship. And then think about Daniel, right? Daniel gets confronted, right, and, 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 and they say you can't bow down and pray to anyone other than the king. And the Bible says when Daniel heard the facts, you know what Daniel did? The Bible says Daniel went home that evening, and as was his custom, he opened his window toward Jerusalem. He bowed down on his knees, and he prayed three times a day just like he'd always done. And when Daniel goes before the king, the, Daniel says, I'm gonna have to, I mean, the king says, I'm going to have to throw you in the lion's den. And they throw Daniel in the lion's den. And the king asks him, he says, Daniel, is your God able to deliver you? The Bible says that night the king went home and he fasted. And when he laid down to sleep, he couldn't sleep. I believe Daniel was sleeping on a lion's, uh, lion's uh, 
uh, lion's rug, right? He was laying down on the lines. But the king was up restless that night. And the next morning, the king comes to the, to the den of the lions, and he cries out, Oh, Daniel, is your God able to deliver you? And Daniel says, Long live the king. Long live the king. And they pulled him up out of the pit. There's just a couple verses later. Y'all to go home and read the book of Daniel. A couple verses later, the Bible says this about Daniel. It says, And the Lord delivered Daniel from the lion's den, because Daniel believed in God. What do you do? He just believed. And every day, guys, we're confronted with facts. Facts are not bad. Facts are neutral. But what we believe about God determines whether or not we're going to live in faith or we're going to live in fear. Whether you're going to anticipate your future or whether you're going to dread it. And I don't know about you, man. I've done dreaded too many days. I don't want to dread anymore. I done missed too many opportunities. I don't want to miss anymore. I want to live in faith. I want to believe the report of the Lord and receive the results that God has promised for me. I want to let faith move me to a place of obedience where I experience everything that God has promised. I want you just to bow your heads this morning. If you're here today and maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, maybe you've been on the outside looking in and, and you've not really understood this faith thing and what does that really mean? It simply means that you believe that God is who He says He is and that He has done everything that He said He would do and that nothing else needs to be done for you to be saved, healed, delivered, blessed, prosperous, and enjoy the glory that He has for you. It's finished, He said. And He is seated at the right hand of God the Father, ever living to intercede and pray for us because everything that He needed to do, He already did. He sent us the Holy Spirit. He's gave us the Word of God. And He works supernaturally in and through our lives to accomplish His will. And today, maybe you're here and you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to ask God to forgive me of my sins. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe He rose again, and I believe He's the only way to heaven. And I want to trust Him to be my Lord and Savior. If that's your heart's cry this morning, then I want to ask you to do something really bold. See, faith moves us. It doesn't move God. God's already moved. The question is, what are you going to do? And this is what I want to ask you to do, just really simple, but I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. If you're here today and you say, Pastor Keith, today I want to pray and I want to accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I want you just to stand up. Just stand up all over this building. God bless you that are standing. Just stand up right now. Faith moves us. Do you believe that He is who He says He is enough just to stand up out of your chair? Do you believe that He is who He says He is enough today to put your faith and your trust in Him? Our ushers are going to put something in your hand. I want you just to remain seated, I mean, remain standing. If you're standing up, our ushers are going to give you just a little packet. We want to send something home with you today. We want to help you take those next steps. But if you're standing, we're about to pray. God's already moved. He's already paid the price for your sin. He loves you, and He's loved you forever. You've never known the day that God didn't love you. You probably haven't felt that love, but I want you to know that love's been there. And today, through faith in Jesus, you're going to experience the love of God and the forgiveness that only Jesus Christ can bring. So I'm going to count to three. When I count to three, after I get done counting to three, we're going to pray this prayer together. And if you want to stand, if you're not standing right now, this is your moment, right? One, two, three. 
Let's pray this prayer. I'm going to ask everybody to pray it with me. If you're standing, pray this out loud. Let's say it together. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died for my sin, rose again on the third day, and paid the price for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Congratulations. If you stood and prayed that prayer today, I'd love to meet you back in our first-time guest area. I'd love to shake your hand. There's a little card on the front of that packet. We'd like to ask you just to fill that out so we can just make sure to follow up with you and help you take those next steps as we follow the Lord this morning. God bless you. You are dismissed. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.